Here's the question that everybody wants to know. All right, Israel is under attack, right? The Gaza Strip is being fought for. The Gaza Strip is a little teeny piece of ground like this. Israel's like this, right? So what's the big deal? The big deal is everything because that's Israel's back door. If they don't have that secured, they are surrounded. And that's just never going to happen. So we have a conflict. Is that conflict predicted in the Bible? It is. All right? The question is, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Who's going to be involved? And are we there today? Is this the time of the end? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just tell you, I don't know. But are there, is there information in the Bible that tells us that we can uh, indeed uh, determine the season in which these things might happen? I will tell you, you'll be shocked. The players are lining themselves up for the great ending play. All right? We may be the generation that sees it all. We may not. I don't know. But... Uh, we need to start talking about this. Um, you know, I've read a lot of people have said this is one of the topics that is talked about the least in church. Why? Because it's very complicated. And you, can, you get tempted to speculate a lot on things that aren't biblical. Next thing you know, you're preaching a whole sermon that's your opinion. That's not helping anybody, right? So I'd rather let the word teach itself. So that's what we're going to do today, which benefits you because for the first time, I'm crossing a hurdle, people. I am going to preach out of the New Living Translation, which you will find right in front of you so you can follow, follow along much easier today with what I'm saying. Uh, let's not in, get into Bible translations today, but I'm, I'm taking one for the team. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, so if you got them, open them because I want you to see this. Matthew 24, this is the part we're going to cover again that we covered last time. The handout you got is the 70th week of Daniel. That's what this refers to, okay? Jesus is telling, Jesus himself is going to tell us in Matthew 24 what's going to happen. He does it clearly. He does it in order, right? So people say, well, there's no real clear direction about this. Yes, there is. It's in Matthew 24, uh, which none of the prophecy teachers cover for, blows my mind to this day. Here it is. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on another, which happened as the Romans demolished the temple in A.D. 70. Later... Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Two questions here. What sign will signal your return? And, in addition to, the end of the world. Not the same event. All right? So, as I go through this, if you have a question, I'll answer it afterwards. Because... I have to keep my train of thought when I go through this because there's going to be stuff pop into my head that I haven't studied and things like that because it always happens. So I've got to be on my game here because I don't want to confuse anybody. Uh, so here we go. Jesus gives the answer. Jesus told them, in my Bible, it's red letter. No mistake in it. 
These are the words of Jesus, not Craig. Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Now, right there. We do not know what Jesus' hand gestures were. But what if he said this? They will come and they will say, I'm the Messiah. And they will deceive many. In other words, they will say that I'm the Messiah, but they're going to deceive people anyway. Is that happening today? Oh, yeah. That's happening today. Watch. Don't watch. <laughs> Some of the preachers on television, because they are deceiving people, and they will claim that Jesus is the Messiah to their own detriment, right? Because they preach things that are not in the Bible. So is that happening? Yes. Could be that... Uh, there will be false messiahs. You could interpret it that way too, right? Both are bad. But this is one of the signs before he returns. And you will hear wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately, carefully. Read it. These, it will not follow immediately. Right? Sometimes we read the Bible, and we, especially we read prophecy, and it's like, well, okay, this has happened. Boom, the next thing happens. And then the next thing. We don't know. We don't know that. So, but he does tell us here, there will be wars and Are we living in that now? Well, of course we are. Right? Four years ago, we were, this is the first time we had a president. We weren't in any, any wars at all. Now look at us. Change like that. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. We have them now, but as these things escalate, uh, they will happen more and more frequently, as we're going to find out here. But all this is only the first of birth pains, with more to come. Birth pains, I don't know anything about that, obviously. But if I said I did, you'd have to believe me, right? Or that would offend me. I could probably sue you. or other places. You better not tell me anything's wrong with that. Such as the world we live in, right? How quick did it go? Like that, right? Birth pains, boom, they come and they go faster and faster and faster and faster until the delivery. These are only the first things. These are the birth pains. Here's where we have a problem, because people don't want to hear this. And I don't want to tell you this, but it's the truth, because Jesus said it right there. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Because you are my followers. So the church is going to go through a time of persecution. Why? The Bible calls it a time of refining. We will, be, we will come through the fire as pure gold. All the impurities are out because you will have sacrificed your very life for me. Right? There is none so greater than this to sacrifice one's life for a friend. The true Christians will be the ones who will stand up at the cost of their own life at that time. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. That will happen. See what I'm saying? And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. 
You're starting to see that now. People are becoming more callous. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached. Let me back up. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. So everybody's going to have a chance to hear the gospel. Praise God. Right? The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke out about, your handout. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. In the middle of that handout, you'll see the line, abomination that causes desolation. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but that's what that is. In my Bible, in black, in yours, I know it's denoted, it says, reader, pay attention, exclamation point. That's you. Pay attention. This is important. And notice the next line. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. So as this, the Antichrist, comes in to the temple and places the, the abomination that causes desolation, we'll talk about that a little bit and give some detail on that. What happens then? If you're there at that time, he tells the people in Judea, you better run. Run. Why? In your handout, the first part of that week, Daniel's 70th week, is about us, the believers. Read or pay attention. People, Jews don't read Matthew. <laughs> right? Believers do. So if you were in Jerusalem, you better run, because now it's on you. The Antichrist will turn his venom first on the Christians and then to the Jews. And he will try to whack them, which uh, it'll be horrible. If you read, and I encourage you to read the book of Revelation. It's going to be horrible, that last three and a half years. Those are the, it's the last trumpet judgment and the bold judgments. That's the time of God's wrath. You do not want to be here when, when that's going to happen. It's going to be horrible. Not like the other isn't. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down to the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Mentions the Sabbath, Jewish people. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. There's 144,000 of them that will be sealed by God. right? And it's possible there will be survivors uh, too at the end. Verse 23, then if anyone tells you, look, here is, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I warned you about this ahead of time. He's still talking to the readers. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah's out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he's hiding here, don't believe it. For, listen up. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. He will come like that. 
right? Just as the gathering of the vultures shows there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Stop. He's answered that question. That's question one, right? So when will he come? When all these signs that you just read, this comes from the mouth of Jesus, when all these signs happen, and not before. And if you hear of it before, don't believe it. He tells us this, don't believe it. Verse 29, immediately after the anguish of those days, here's one that's going to happen. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Horrible natural catastrophes. Read about that in uh, the, the book of Revelation, because those are the last judgments. That's a, this is a time of God's wrath. Right? So he's, he doesn't give a lot of detail there. right? And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see, who will? All the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Well, when he comes the first time, it's going to be like that, just like lightning. We're gone. He comes to rescue us. But when he comes back, he's going to come with us. And everybody's going to see it. And that's when he's going to come to stay. Okay? So this answers the second question that he was asked. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they, will gather his, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now, he goes back to give details about what he just told us. And this is a word of advice for all of us. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and the leaves begin to sprout, you know, summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that his return is very near right at the door. So when you see all these things, his return is very near. So what should we do then? He tells us. I tell you the truth. This generation or the people alive at that time will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. That line just blows me away. I don't understand that, but... We don't understand everything. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Now, if you, if you know anything about that time, why did God flood the world? Because the inclination of people's hearts and minds were only evil all the time. The culture was totally saturated in evil pagan culture, right? Hedonism. Everybody do what you want, right? And it was horrible. But he get, it's another aspect there, too. In those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up in time, bless you, right up in time to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you, too must keep watch 
They come in twos. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time, apparently in threes. Also must be ready at all time, for the Son of Man will come when he's least expected. In other words, nobody's going to be able to pinpoint the day or the hour. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, hmm, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. He will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is hell, my friend. And so if we want to pay lip service to this and say, well, you know, it's not going to happen and God's not going to be back for a long time, hit me again. Right? We don't take care of our earthly responsibilities. Instead, we blend them with the culture and we do what they do. Right? That's treat people terribly. Um, I don't know you, but God does. And what's he call those people? Read it there. It's hypocrites. You hypocrite. Does God care the way we live? Yeah, he does. Yeah. It makes us who we are. We are changed, right? We are a new creation. Well, as time gets closer, he's going to put us to work. I mentioned this before when I, when I taught this, before I get to the next section. Uh, in your Bibles... Turn to, um, turn to Daniel chapter 8. Now this is where we get confused. And you know something? You're not going to be alone. But we are to uh, read all Scripture and consider all Scripture. Why? Because God said so. All Scripture is God-breathed, is it not? It is. Right? And we're supposed to consider it all. Or this is the one that nobody considers. And here's why. They don't know where to put it. It doesn't fit. You don't know the times I have heard in the last mm, month, well, even before, but when uh, Israel started being attacked, uh, are we in Ezekiel uh, chapter 38 and 39? We're going to cover that too. Are we? I don't know. Where does that fit? What about that? I don't know about that. Well, you're going to know about that because we're going to talk about it. But first, we're going to go to Daniel 8. Nobody covers this first. You go to the prophets, you'll never find any of them because they just can't figure out where to put it. Maybe we will today. Maybe we won't. But you've got to know about it, okay? Daniel chapter 8. This is, uh, of course, Daniel who gave the prophecy that you are holding in your hands in the handout. Israel is in captivity in Babylon at the time. Um, Persia, a, a modern-day Iran. During the third year of King uh, Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision following the one that had already appeared to me. In this vision, I was at the fortress of Susa in the province of Elam, standing behind or beside the Ulai River. Uh, there's a little significance to that. don't have time to go into it. 
As I looked up, I saw a ram. Picture this in your head now. I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other one, even though it had grown later than the other one. The ram butted everything out of its way to the west, to the north, to the south. No one could stand against him or help his victims. He did as he pleased, and he became very great. While I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly he didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in a rage. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, notice how it's going to change here, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns, pointing in the four directions of the earth. Then, from one of the prominent horns came a small horn, whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east, toward the glorious land of Israel. Its power reached to the heavens, where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them, not literal stars. It even challenged the commander of heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. It even challenged the commander of heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him by destroying his temple. Read that twice for a reason. The army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion, so the daily sacrifice was halted and the truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard two holy ones talking to each other. One of them asked, How long will the events of this vision last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple in, the heaven's, army, uh, in heaven's army be trampled on? The other replied, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, and then the temple will be made right again. What? <laughs> that doesn't fit anything. If you read Revelation, and if you, if you read all the major prophets, all the minor prophets, which I have, where do you put that? Prophecy teachers won't touch that. It just doesn't fit. But it's going to happen, right? Now, did you notice how it changed? It oddly resembles the Antichrist account in Revelation, does it not? Called a small horn. And in Daniel's previous visions, called a small horn. One will rise up. Well, it's hard to explain, but Gabriel does in the next section. Gabriel explains the vision. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man stood in front of me, and I heard a human voice calling out from the Uli River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. Could that be a precarnate Jesus? I think it is. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end, which is why I brought it up today. Then he said, I'm here to tell you what will happen later in a time of wrath. Now, if you take this and you put it into Revelation, it still just doesn't fit. 
What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram, here we go, represents the kings of Media and, and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, Media and Persia. Modern day Iran. Who's in the news now? Right? Then it says Greece. Well, Greece isn't prominent. Well, um, Europe. There was no Europe back then. It was all Greece, right? The Roman Empire. It was Greece at, the, at this time. So Iran, Europe, a European empire, okay? We'll break into four kingdoms. I can't imagine how that would happen. But none as great as the first. At the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes, who is that, in battle. But he will be broken, but not by human power. 26, very interesting. This vision about the 2300 evenings and mornings is true. Like it's not true? Well, it's not, uh, it's not painting a picture to make a point. This is absolutely true. But none of these things will happen for a long time, so keep this vision a secret. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. Well, preach it, brother, because <laughs> I could not. I'm sitting there, I'm staring this, and I'm reading it over and over and over and over until I got this little blip. I, I read something about... Um, just on the rabbit hole of Iran. Iran's going to be a big player. Iran's going to be a huge player. Watch Iran, as this says. When you, we get into Ezekiel, you're going to find that out big time. So it's no, it's no mistake, right? People are saying right now, although Iran hasn't come out and said it, that they are funding uh, Hamas, right? Um, Hezbollah coming from Lebanon is going to get involved, things like that. But the money is coming from Iran, well, through us. But we don't deserve to be judged, do we? Right? We don't think about that. We just don't think about that. Anyway, uh, here's, what, here's what the eschatological teachers I said it, study the end times think about this so I'm going to give you that first this is a biblical type all right uh, it speaks of one Antiochus Epiphanes who was the great Seleucid leader uh, that became ruler over the land of the Assyrians which is Iran right with that, all the territories that they conquered, including Israel, modern-day Jordan, uh, that whole lower Middle Eastern section. He was the king overall. Uh, Syria, 
he, he came from modern-day Syria, which is to the east of Israel. Um, he also took over the land of Idumea. If that does not ring familiar, that is the territory of Esau. Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, who broke off and became God's enemy. All right? He took over that land to the south, which is desert area. Comes into play later in prophecy. All right? So he's got all this area, and he's become very powerful. Well, now he goes to Egypt, and he signs a peace treaty. This is history now, not Bible. With the great Egyptian ruler, Ptolemy, P-T-O-M-L-Y, which if you study world history, you cover him. Right? He signs a peace treaty because he's awful powerful, lures him to sleep because he's a type of the Antichrist, type, short for prototype, right? So Antiochus Epiphanes double-crosses him and tries to attack Egypt. But who stops him? Oddly, the Romans. Europe. Strange, right? The Romans stop him in a fury he decides to take it out on the Jews in Israel. Now, his demeanor, he was known as the great flatterer. He was a great orator, right, which made him the great leader because he could talk his way into everything. And that was his big thing, the history books will tell us, right? But if you crossed him, he was ruthless and cruel. Sound familiar? Type of the Antichrist. So what does Antiochus Epiphanes do? He marches into the temple, and what's the worst thing you can possibly do? Desecrate the temple. The abomination that causes desolation. He drags a pig in there and sacrificed it in God's holy temple. Now we know from our previous studies, or if you know your Bible, that pigs are unclean and they are forbidden for the Jewish people. Right? So he takes their high priest, throws him out and puts his own pagan leader in there and institutes a culture of hedonism. Do what you want. Do your own thing. What's today's that even my family's been a victim of this one? I'm going to live my own truth. Well, I never voted for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's here. Anyway, so this is the culture now. Everybody does their own thing, and as long as they obey the king, we're good. But if you don't, there's going to be a problem. Well, they didn't. There's a problem. So he drags all the priests in there with his henchmen, pries open their mouths, and makes them all drink pig's blood in the temple. Now the temple's rendered ineffective. And there's nobody to administer because the priests are now all unclean. That was Antiochus Epiphanes, right? So uh, one Jewish priest, isn't it funny in the Bible? God always leaves a remnant. Uh, Judas Maccabees stood up and said, I'm not, I'm not going to blaspheme God. I will not do this. And he and his five sons started a revolt among the Jewish people. This is history now. This is not scripture. And so they start a revolt, and it gets to the point where it's such a problem that it draws Antiochus Epiphanes and his armies to the east, right? Where they become weakened. In that time, the Jewish people come in, retake the temple. 
they find they have to light the candles as the first thing, and they find only one day's worth of materials to make the oil to light the candles to the temple, right? So uh, they, it takes them eight days to get all the materials together to make the oil. They light the candle, and miraculously, the candles stay lit for eight days, right? The Jews of today still celebrate this very thing, and it's called Hanukkah, Festival of Lights. Of course, we've secularized it here, but that's what it is. And they celebrate that miracle to this very day because it gave them hope. God is with us, even in this misery. Okay? It should give us hope, too. Uh, of course, we know over time that as he becomes weakened, the Romans come in and destroy them and take over and all of their lands, including Israel, that they controlled even up to the time of Jesus and afterwards. Okay? So uh, that's a biblical type. That's something that happened once, and they call that the intertestamental period. In between, this is something that happened in between uh, 500 years uh, A.D. to uh, the current times, the Gospels of the New Testament. Okay? Uh, something that happened once that's going to happen again. Right? So that's going to happen again, perhaps in a different form. So keep that story in your head. Keep all that in the back of your mind as you turn to Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is one that a lot of men and I thought it too. That a lot of people say this is the next event on the prophetic calendar. This is it. And I'm not so sure now. Doesn't mean it's not, okay? But it, it, it's an option. Uh, this is the battle of Gog and Magog. Who and what? <laughs> I know. Gog and Magog. They're only mentioned in prophecy. And it's a title given to them. And I'll explain as we go along. I'm going to explain the players in this one. So know this. A lot of the prophecy teachers are, are telling us that this is the next thing. We'll see. Let's read and find out. Uh, chapter 38. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog the prince who rules over the nations of Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against him. Okay. Gog is a leader over the land of Magog who rules over Meshach and Tubal, a modern-day Russia. So they say. It's also, you could say, at that time, Turkey. Either way, it's north of Israel. Okay. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army, your horses and charioteers in full armor and great horde armed with shields and swords. Okay, so they are not, and this is, this is where I differ with a lot of these teachers because they will teach you that, oh, uh, they're going to go down there because they say Israel is weak and at peace, which they are going to be peace. I can't see them ever being weak. Don't mess with them, <laughs> right? Uh, the terrorists are finding that out right now. But, uh, and are they at peace right now? No, they're not. 
God says, I'm going to be a, put a hook in your jaw and drag you there. Do you do that to somebody who's willing? Mm -mm. God's going to inspire them to do that. Okay? I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army, your horses, charioteers, and full armor, and great horde, and arm, horde armed with shields and swords. Persia, here we go, Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya. At that time, parts, of, well, still are, parts of, of Africa, will join you too with all their weapons. Gomer and all its armies will also join you along with the armies of Beth Tagarma from the distant north and many others. Uh, once again, Russia, modern day Russia, Gomer, Beth Tagarma, and many others. We gloss over that, and so do a lot of them, and many others. Interesting. Get ready. Be prepared. Keep all the armies around you mobilized. Take command of them. A long time from now, you will be called into action. Now, this is coming from Ezekiel, who was a contemporary of Daniel. So he lived at the same time Daniel did, right? Which had the prophecy that you hold in your hands, right? So what we're talking about now, where does that fit in? to that timeline. Is this, what we're going to talk about in a second, going to happen before that ushers in that? Because if you'll see your first line there, it's going to see there's a peace treaty that Israel will sign. That's what will give them, that's what will give them a time of peace. So when that peace treaty is signed, the clock ticks for the last week, and that's a literal seven years, divided into two parts as your handout shows you. Right? Is this going to happen before that? And this is the thing that triggers it off? That's the big question. Is it? Let's keep reading. Um, verse 8. A long time from now you will be called into action. In the distant future you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war, and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. Have people returned from many lands? Yes, they have to Israel. People are coming back into the land like they were, the, they, they were prophesied too long ago. Uh, you and all your allies, a vast and awesome army, will roll down on them like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. At that time, evil thoughts will come to your mind, and you will devise a wicked scheme. You will say, Israel is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. I'll march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder, for the people are rich with livestock and other possessions now. They think the whole world revolves around them. Man, that is not in. Whatever. That's a translation thing. I don't, I don't dig that line. But Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, will ask, do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of silver and gold? Sheba, a modern-day Saudi Arabia, who was, try was trying to have a, a peaceful coexistence with Israel before the terrorists ruined that. Uh, and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, uh, Europe. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog, verse 14. Give him this message from the Sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north 
with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. At that time, in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through, the Israel's, through Israel's prophets that in the future I would bring you against my people? But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promised a mighty sh a shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things. Now here's where it gets, this is where you can't just plug it in. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the peoples on earth will quake in terror at my presence. Interesting. If that's the case, then how can that happen now? Mountains will be thrown down. Cliffs will crumble. Walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you on all the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords against each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstorm, stones, uh, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am the Lord." If you plug that in right now, can it fit? The more you read on, which we will, in Ezekiel 39, because it pairs with this, uh, gives some details about how horrible this is going to be. So hold on. Son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. I am your enemy, O Gog, ruler of the nations of Meshach and Tubal, from the north. I will turn you around and drive you toward the mountains of Israel, bringing you from a distant north. I will knock the bow from your left hand and the arrows from your right hand, and I will leave you helpless. Now, don't get hung up on the bow and the arrows thing. I said, because how else are you going to explain that to people like Daniel, what a, a machine gun is in a tank? <laughs> right? You can't do that. So these are our weapons, right? You and your army and your allies will all die on the mountains. I will feed you to the vultures and wild animals. You will fall in the open fields, for I have spoken, says the Sovereign Lord, and I will rain down fire on Magog and all your allies who live safely on the coast, and they will know that I am the Lord. In this way, I will make known my holy name among the people of Israel. I will not let anyone bring shame on it, and the nations too will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Will they? If we plug that in now, because if that's the case, why do we have to go through the last week? You know what I'm saying? These little things just give me doubt. That day of judgment will come, says the sovereign Lord. That day of judgment will come, says the sovereign Lord. Everything will happen just as I have declared it. Then the people in the towns of Israel will go out and pick up your small and large shields, bows and arrows, javelins and spears, and they will use them for fuel. I don't know how they'll do that, but it says so. There will be enough to last them for seven years. They won't need to cut wood from the fields or forests, for these weapons will give them all the fuel they need. 
They will plunder those who plan to plunder them, and they will rob those who plan to rob them, says the sovereign Lord. And I will make a vast graveyard for Gog and his hordes in the Valley of Travelers east of the Dead Sea. So there will be an area east of the Dead Sea that will become a mass graveyard. It will block the way of those who travel there, and they will change the name of the place to the Valley of Gog's Hordes. It will take seven months for the people of Israel to bury the bodies and cleanse the land. Everyone in Israel will help, for it will be a glorious victory for Israel when I demonstrate my glory on that day, says the Sovereign Lord. After seven months, teams of men will be appointed to search the land for skeletons to bury so the land will be made clean again. Because you can't leave a body unburied because that desecrates the ground in which it lays. That's Jewish law, right? That's unclean. We can't do that, and there's rituals that go with that. Whenever bones are found, a marker will be set up so the burial crews will take them to be buried in the Valley of Gog's hordes. There will be a town there named Hamanah, which means horde, and so the land will finally be cleansed. And now, son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Call all the birds and the wild animals. Say to them, gather together for the great sacrificial feast. Come from far and near to the mountains of Israel, and there eat flesh and drink blood. Eat the flesh of mighty men. Drink the blood of princes as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all fattened uh, animals from Bashan, northeast. That's, um, I believe, Syria today. Gorge yourselves with flesh until you are glutted. Drink blood until you are drunk. This is a sacrificial feast I have prepared for you. Feast at my banquet table. Feast on horses and charioteers, on mighty men and all kinds of valiant warriors, says the sovereign Lord. In this way, I will demonstrate my glory to the nations. Everyone will see the punishment I have inflicted on them and the power of my fist when I strike. And from that time on, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. The nations will then know why Israel was sent away to exile. It was punishment for sin, for they were unfaithful to their God. Therefore, I turn away from them and let their enemies destroy them. I turn my face away and punish them because of their defilement and their sins. A horrible time. I don't know about you, but whew, I can't imagine that. So many people, and dead, save it for after, so many people that you can't bury them all. And it takes years, right? Horrible. So now this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on all Israel, for I jealously guard my holy reputation. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my whole... Well, I thought we were doing that. See what I mean? There's some things in here it just doesn't fit if it happens today. Then my people will know I am the Lord their God because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind, and I will... Here we go. I will never again turn my face from them for I will pour out my spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. If that's the case, and it fits before what you have in your lap, how can that be when Jesus says, if you are in Judea, run. You are about to 
experienced the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. In other words, the non or the the phony baloney Christians or people that say they are going to be shown for what they are in the first half, right? The ones who are tried and true are going to stand up for our faith and we're going to be sacrificed for that, right? Out of our love for Christ, right? People will see that, by the way, and they will come to know Jesus too. They won't just hear our words, they'll see our actions. He'll judge the Jews at the end. If this fits now, then how can that be? Well, is there an answer in their Bible? I think so. Although these same prophecy teachers don't, they just don't. There's a short passage in Revelation, right, towards the end. Uh, perhaps it fits there because this battle or these players are named here. But they're ignored by most because it's too confusing. They don't go into this. So that's what I mean. Some stuff will make your head swim. This is in Revelation 20, verse 7. It's a paragraph and a short paragraph. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. So the handout that you have in your lap, the, the last part of that rings in the thousand-year reign of our Lord and Savior on earth. Right? When that thousand years comes to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. So before then, Satan's locked up in prison. Those who have returned uh, with the Lord, we will have glorified bodies. For those of us who die before any of this takes place, we will come with him. We will have our glorified bodies. There will be people who don't. 144,000 Jewish people who won't, right? And uh, also survivors, they will not. They will have fleshly bodies still for a thousand years. Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations. How does that happen? Well, those people who are born in fleshly bo bodies, guess what else they're going to have? A sin nature, right? Satan won't be there to tempt them. They'll still have a sin nature, which uh, has to be dealt with. So he's going to call Satan out of prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations. My Bibles in, in, the, in El, the New Living Translation says, called Gog and Magog. If you put that in here, it fits. And why? Because that's what the Bible tells us. Prophecy teachers don't want to because there's got to be something that initiates that peace treaty with Israel in the first place. Most of them will tell you this is it. Mm-mm. Mm -mm. I'm telling you right now because the word of God says no, it's not it. It fits right here. And that's why the finality of Ezekiel fits this because the Lord says never again. It fits here, doesn't it? He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle. A mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city, just like Ezekiel predict. But the fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them, just like God said. Then, verse 10, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet from the book of Revelation who deceived the planet. And there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Praise the Lord for that. They are gone forever and ever and ever. So, if that's where that fits, 
What do you do with Daniel 8 that we just read? This is my opinion. I think that's the next thing on the prophetic calendar because it fits, and there's no finality to it. If you read it again, there's no finality to it. It predicts the Antichrist. It predicts uh, the battle from Iran. Here's, this is just what it says in summing it up. Iran and others will attack Israel. There will be a faction or somebody from, the, from Europe, Greece, but it's not. It's going to be Europe and today. will come down and crush them. Boom, break the ram's horn off. From that group of European countries will come a little horn, right? And he will negotiate a peace treaty. And just like Antiochus Epiphanes, he will take the, his place in the temple and desecrate it. Now, the book of Revelation says, with an image set up. And all those who would not worship the image of the beast will be required to take a mark on their hand or forehead. The Christian will say, no, I'm not doing that. Right? And... Uh, the 144,000 will cry out, Lord, how long will this go long? And he will say, till the number of those uh, who stood up for my name, paraphrase, will be killed. The true believers, right? And we will go gladly. People, uh, the epitome of dying to self, literally. We will be willing to do that. Uh, praise God for that kind of faith. Although a lot of people will... I'm scared my kid needs to eat, mark me. They're going to do it. Even though God says, if you do, you're doomed for eternity. Hit me. See what I'm saying? It's, it's, uh, if we don't talk about this stuff, then we don't have the right attitude going in. And we could very easily become that guy. Don't be that guy. Stand up for your faith. Stand up for what's right. Stand up for what you know is right from the study of, of God's word, right? So whichever one of these scenarios you believe, know this, Iran is a major player, and here we are today. But as Jesus said, don't be alarmed. There will be wars. There will be rumors of wars right up into the end, right? Don't be alarmed. These things must happen, right? Have hope. I'm coming. God says, here we go. This is another reason that I cover this today, because of the punchline, and here it is. Pray for the peace of Israel. Now you know why. When will there be real peace in Israel? When the Lord comes and we will be with him forever. Right? Praise God. The big question to you today, will you be there? Will you be there? Man, I hope so. I hope so. Because part of the reason I'm here today is to, to, to let you see that people time, times are changing. But take heart. God's in control. God says if we turn our ways, he will come and heal our land. That promise still stays today. With God, a day is as a thousand years. Something that he can, he can turn around, he can turn things like that. Boom. And make it all go away. He can, because that's God. Now's the time. You have repented. You have changed your ways. We don't have to do it this way, right? 
Be the witnesses that you were. And who knows, it could be distance in the future, people, or in two weeks, I could be preaching something that's batting down the hatches. Hard times are coming. Learn your Bible, know it, before they take it away from us. Right? Hide the word in your heart. They can never take that away. Know God's truth. Right? Right? And the truth will set you free. Not just you, but for the people you love and your neighbors and your friends and anybody that the Lord puts in contact with you. Are the times short? I don't know. But at least you have to look. <laughs> You're right. You have to consider it. If we weren't, why is it in here? Right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. It is a treasure. It is our, um, is our, our bread. It is our food. We grow when we ingest it, when we hide it in our heart. It helps change us and become the people that you always wanted, wanted us to be, um, the great ministers. We don't know if time is, is going short. The signs are there. Our culture's changing. All the things that Jesus talked about, a lot of them are lining up. But we don't know, but you do. So we put our faith, our hope, and our trust in you. So at the end of the day, we can rest in the fact that we already know the ending. And you have won. And we can rejoice in that victory with you. As a result of that, Lord, help us to do right. Help us to live lives pleasing to you and help us to share the gospel while we still have time. We thank you for our ability to do that. We thank you for our freedom. Uh, we pray that we don't, we don't squander that. Guide us, direct us, and lead us in the way we should go. You have prepared in advance good works for each one of us to do. Lord, help us to hear that call when we hear it and to do those things. And we thank you for the ability to do it. Uh, it's all for you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.